highly manipulative coach is the weirdest fucking thing ever. And it's also, there's a super fine balance because a part of coaching is manipulation. You need to be able to instill self-belief and get somebody to go to places that they have not yet gone before. But crossing that boundary, like, dude, if you don't really fucking trust the person that you're working with, then like how much of that manipulation are you actually going to accept? If you don't know, surefire, without a shadow of doubt, that they have your best interests in mind, how much of that manipulation are you actually going to accept? What is happening, everyone? Welcome back to your favorite podcast, the Gordon Podcast. I'm show some Haley, and we are going to discuss five bodybuilding trends that will die in 2024. We are going to go and we're going to manifest these together because the industry would be so much better off without them. So, without further ado, I'll see you inside. Five bodybuilding trends that will die in 2024. I am manifesting this. I will not stop until these five die. So let's pop right into it. Number one, I can finally talk about this because I feel like I mastered the equation to not doing this anymore. Over dieting for shows. My God, how many freaking people do you see looking just nuts like eight weeks out? I'm talking to uh, my 2022 self before I over dieted heavily for the Texas State Show. How many people do you see looking insane and then it all goes away? And all that hard work, all that muscle you build, all that fullness, all that roundness to your physique, it just withers away into you looking like absolutely nothing. Now, how do we ensure this doesn't happen? As soon as your pumps in the gym have been gone for like four or five days, that's not a great sign. As soon as your sleep is falling off heavily because you're so inflamed and your body is so stressed that it can't even calm down to a parasympathetic state for you to be able to simply go to bed, as soon as your fatigue is too high for you to do daily activities, what is the shit that you enjoy doing? As soon as you get to a place where I don't have energy to do that, or that sounds miserable to do, then you are overly fatigued and you're teetering on the border of over dining for a show. As soon as you're completely mentally distressed and you're just like out of it, you are going to be over fatigued and therefore bordering on not being able to maintain your muscle and your fullness going into the competition, refeeding periods, large refeeds. As the diet goes on, as the client gets leaner, the refeeds need to get bigger. And oftentimes, this is when you start playing with foods that are not clean foods. I love a pasta and meatball. I think a burger and a fry can be really good, but it's like you're going to play with these things. You're going to assess the feedback. The client's going to check in the next day. We're going to look at the reduction of inflammation. We're going to look at how the digestion looks. We're going to look to see, make sure we got some of that pop back. We're going to get pics after training to see how the pump was. We're going to talk about how the sweating was. When you're going to compile this information, you're going to find a really good meal. If food has to get super high during the refeeding days that you're going to be able to use up all the way through night of the show. So right now, 90% of people are just throwing darts at a dartboard that's not even on the wall the night before a show. And they're like, all right, burger and fries. They have no fucking idea what they're doing. But if you did that for the last 12 weeks when you needed a refeed because your food had to be higher than what you can get from jasmine rice and sweet potato and uh, olive oil and, and things like that, then 
you're going to know the exact outcome and look. Something I did with Alston Hodges uh, throughout his prep that uh, helped us secure that pro card in uh, nationals was Chick-fil-A fries. They were working amazing for him. And every time we would have Chick-fil-A fries, he would look fantastic. It makes sense. You take into account the potassium, take into account the sodium, obviously the carbohydrate, water was high, and it just worked like a gym every single time. So we're not over dieting for shows anymore because you listen to the Grower Die podcast and now you know what to look out for. Number two, too much volume in training. This is a mistake that I made for far too long. All it did was get me a ton of injuries and it makes those injuries persist and manifest even longer. Everyone knows you've had a nag before. You trained around it. You sort of trained through it a little bit, but it never quite went away. And all of a sudden I'm on month 10 of having this mildly torn pack because I didn't give it the time in the first seven months for it to be able to heal appropriately. So now it's starting to this long-term issue Everyone has done that. Where the tendonitis, the tendonitis pops up and you're just like, oh, like, dude, I'll just like work around it and stuff. Like, dude, if you can do movements that it doesn't hurt, that's great. But the reality is at some point, you just got to take some time off. You have to take time off. You have to allow it to simply rest recuperate, especially when you're using drugs, you have high protein intake, your sleep is good. All those things I do allow the injuries to rest. Speaking of training, a full range of motion is the best way to improve flexibility. When you're training through a full range of motion, the chance of injury drops significantly when you do this for a long period of time. You typically see injuries from training happen in people who have gone through shortened ranges of motion, and then they work up load to a place where you know they're, they're being pushed down in a leg press another quarter of an inch or something, simulates muscles that aren't able to handle it around a tendon, maybe in, in, in the middle of the muscle belly, wherever the case may be, and then you see it snap off. If we're continually training through a full range of motion and we only increase load based off of what we can work through a full range of motion and a controlled manner, then the relative risk of injury drops quite significantly. Now, what I want to touch on here is the progressive overload through output, through effort, through the range of motion and chasing micro progressions. There were times Thomas and I would go in the gym and we beat our previous day's output by like 60 reps across the course of a training session. Like, dude, of course your body's going to get torched from that. Like, of course you're progressive overloading, but there is absolutely a negative return on the investment of work when the investment was too much. And then what happened? We get injured and then we wouldn't be able to reap the reward in our physique because we were injured and we have to skip the next few training sessions, yada, yada, so on and so forth. Do that over a long period of time. And it's going to be somewhat negative, at least in the, the overall outcome. At some point, the injury is going to happen. At some point, you're not going to feel well. You're going to be overtrained. You're going to have extreme nervous system fatigue, all of that stuff. There used to be the whole thing about you can't overtrain, you can only under-recover, which is a great point, but your recovery is completely based on your nervous system and its response to the training, and there's only so much you can do to actually speed that up. The physiological mechanisms, you can speed up through hormones, through diet, uh, through training modalities, but the nervous system speed up. I mean, Cairo can help it, massage can help it, dry needling can help it, cold plunge can help it, but you're not going to speed it up that much. Amazing sleep is the best thing you can really do for it. So too much volume in training. Go in, 
progress micro progressions. If we impress, if we um, uh, increase by five total reps over the course of a training session, that is awesome. That is absolutely fantastic. Or if you feel like you controlled the load better through all the reps that you did, but you did the same number of reps, that is fantastic. All right, you guys. So I don't run paid ads and stuff on my show because, um, well, quite frank, I'm not super aligned with anybody, but also I just love the flow of how the Grow It I podcast goes. So how you can give back to me, if you could share this, wherever you share stuff, it could be LinkedIn, it could be Instagram, it could be Twitter, and you just tag the Grow It I page, tag me in it if you'd like to. That would help me so much as I continue to grow this show into eventually doing it in America tour in 2024 and try to come to a city near you to have some amazing guests on. I appreciate it a ton. Now, let's get back to the show. Here's the next one. And a big part of why we see so many mental disorders in bodybuilding. If you listen to the uh, fitness trends that we are leaving in 2023, I talked about fats, so I'm not going to harp on those here. If you have not, after this show, make sure to go watch that one so you understand what's going on with fat because it's very important to understand that. But pushing digestive distress for long periods of time, especially in men. Why are so many male bodybuilders just fucking insane in the head? Well, because they have all this digestive distress. Where's our neurotransmitters made? They're made in our gut and then they go up the spine, like the gut brain axis and they get to work in our brain and they're imperfect or they're impaired or they're not optimal, you know, whatever you want to call them. And then we have less than ideal neurotransmissions happening inside of our brain. And people love talking about steroids and like all that. No, the, the negative effect on our mental health is coming from our diet. And the fact that almost everyone has digestive distress, far more men have SIBO than who realize it, like far more, like it would be staggering number, but they don't even realize it because the only thing that they're chasing is a little bit of progression in terms of their muscle. And men show SIBO in a different manner than women do as well. Um, so, you know, you're, you're, to be honest, in the experience that I have with it, men show SIBO more in the mental components. Um, but when you've been mentally unwell for so long, I'm not even sure it's, it's, it's very easy to understand that things have changed and something is, is happening. But also if you have digestive distress, cause you're pushing food for far too long, or you have these crazy blood glucose, um, alterations that occur throughout the day, then you're also not utilizing all the nutrients that are coming in. And so you're going to grow worse. You can grow plenty by eating less and having better digestive health. How perfect can you make your digestive health? Every single time with any coach, this isn't some special Justin Mahaley thing, like I'm the Messiah. Maybe I am. But for any coach that has ever taken clients through successful gut health phases and they come out, there is better growth happening typically on less food. So you have less drugs, you have less food. You have better digestive health and everything that you're taking in is now getting used and your body is actually going to positively respond from that. Digestive distress also equals systemic inflammation, which again, I touched on in that fitness podcast. So I don't want to harp on it too much, but that being said, higher systemic inflammation when we're already doing so much to promote inflammation inside of our body is not a positive place to be whatsoever, will lead to negative mental repercussions, will lead to recovery implica- um, uh, negative recovery implications. It will have negative progressive progression implications overall across the board. Now, 
We have this hyper focus on sodium and water, but not potassium. And I think it's the weirdest thing ever. Potassium is the intracellular electrolyte. Sodium is extra. Potassium is intra. So uh, potassium is very important for muscle cells. It helps in protein synthesis by regulating the cellular processes and enzymatic activity that is essential for building muscle proteins. Like p potassium is necessary for transportation of amino acids into a muscle cell. So if you're eating all this protein and you don't have any potassium in your diet, added potassium in your diet, then you are not going to be able to get all of that protein into a muscle cell. And potassium also, it, it, because of this, it can influence anabolic hormones such as insulin growth hormone as well. Um, but again, potassium is the intracellular electrolyte. So it plays a solid role in glycogen storage inside of the muscle and inside of the liver. If we have low potassium and we have high blood glucose and we have full glycogen stores, where will that glucose end up in the body? It will end up as adipose tissue. Your body is amazing at turning things into fat. It really is. Protein is very difficult to turn into a fat, but not extra glucose. So proper potassium levels help with insulin sensitivity. Um, very important for maintaining electrolyte balance in the gut, which is extremely important for our gut microbiota. Um, it's extremely important for the nutrient absorption. So again, the, the enteric nervous system, the central nervous system constantly working together. They assess, okay, I don't have enough potassium to transport all these amino acids to where they need to go, but I have all these amino acids being broken down in the gut right now, so I'm not sure what to do with them. So I'm going to pass them off to the small intestine, and it's just going to wait there and wait for things to come in and get these amino acids. Meanwhile, in the small intestine, it's not supposed to sit there for a very long period of time, so it's fermenting, it's causing bacterial buildup, and now you have fucking cyber. Like This is literally just how it works. Potassium can help prevent dysbiosis uh, due to its effects on, again, the amino acid, the carbohydrate. That same process happens for a carbohydrate thing as well. Um, we have to have adequate potassium levels for there to be transportation of the carbohydrates and amino acids that pass through your gut into your small intestine. Helps with blood pressure. Uh, potassium is a vasodilator, so it widens the, the blood vessels. Obviously, is very important. Kidney function, very important. Um, potassium is one of the most important and overlooked things. And I don't know why. There's this massive fascination with everything else, but not potassium. Maybe that'll change. And maybe we can be myopic about pot potassium input next. You're going to start seeing coaches because they heard about it on the Grow or Die podcast. You're going to start seeing coaches obsess over potassium. Uh, the last one that we're going to kill in 2024 is working with highly manipulative coaches. My God, is this happening everywhere? And it is fucking weird. They play like the super good guy or gal, um, after they miss service or mistreat you a little bit, like try to make up for it. They try to get involved and like control parts of your personal life. If a coach oversteps that boundary and you didn't invite them in and you didn't give them permission and they just like intrude directly into your personal life and start like giving you advice or trying to control what you're doing. Dude, that is fucking weird. That is not normal. That is not normal. That means you are in an abusive relationship and you need to open your eyes and find a fucking way out because that's absolutely insane. That they feel comfortable enough intruding on your personal life and you didn't even give them the, the acceptance or an invite to do so, that's weird. When they then 
they know they upset you. They know they made a wrong move. They know all of that stuff, but they don't take over um, ownership of it. They just resort to overcompensating so that you stay on board uh, with them as a client. Like there's special offerings and there's like special treatment. And they're like checking up on you and they're like, you know, just uh, things that other clients don't get. You're getting treated differently because they're basically gaslighting the entire situation that you're undergoing to ensure that you stay on as an athlete. That is fucking weird. And that is not normal. That's a sign that you're in an abusive relationship, whether it be a coaching, social, romantic, whatever. And then over-promising, but they continually kick the can down the road. And there's all of this stuff that I can do for you and bring for you, but, oh, well, like, not yet. Like, it's going to be, you know, later on, it'll be in, like, August or, you know, whatever. They probably kick it down the road, like, close enough. Like, oh, it's April. And then you're like, hold on to April. And it's like, oh, well, you know, this happens, like, July. Like, dude, that's weird. Highly manipulative coaches is the weirdest fucking thing ever. And it's also... There's a super fine balance because a part of coaching is manipulation. You need to be able to instill self-belief and get somebody to go to places that they have not yet gone before. But crossing that boundary, like, dude, if you don't really fucking trust the person that you're working with, then like how much of that manipulation are you actually going to accept? If you don't know, surefire, without a shadow of doubt, that they have your best interests in mind, how much of that manipulation are you actually going to accept? So 2024... We're not working with manipulative coaches anymore. It's fucking weird. So these five trends are going to die. As always, I hope you guys enjoy. Make sure to share the podcast and I'll see you next time.